Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right. Hey, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, Acts 16, if you got your Bible, make your way over to Acts 16. And as you're doing that, we'll give you a little update on the um, kind of a, an annual rhythm we do uh, here at our church, uh, just so you're aware of what's coming in the next month or so. Uh, for the past few years, one of the things that the encouragement of some mentors of mine and also at the encouragement of our elders here is um, I, my name's Spence. I'm your lead pastor here at Mercy. If you're newer to our church, um, I tend to take the month of July and step back from preaching and the day-to-day activities and, and ministries of our church to spend time in rest and in renewal and, um, and honestly spending time before the Lord praying for our church. Uh, so you're not going to see me up here over the next several weeks. Uh, you'll see some of our other pastors, which is great because it gives us a chance for these young um, preachers to learn to preach, and they love preaching to you. Now, this is a hard thing for me. I'll go ahead and tell you because there's a lot of work to do, a lot of work in front of us, um, and it's always difficult for me to step back, and then I come back um, really thankful. I think of even 2021 and a lot of our Because of Christ and our five-year vision series came out of that time in July of last year with the Lord, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it, so please pray for me, pray for renewal with my family and everything else, but we'll be around that's where we are, and I just want to make you aware of it, and now I'm done talking about that. All right, let's get into the Bible. Acts chapter 16. Uh, Today, we are going to see the Apostle Paul plant a church, which is pretty cool. He's going to start a new church in the city called Philippi, and our author, Luke, is going to show us an interaction, three interactions that Paul has with three very different people, Um, and what we're going to see is so great. Paul's going to take the same gospel message And deliver it to three very different people in three very different stages and situations in life. And we're going to watch God bring healing, bring salvation to each one of them. Um, I love this, y'all. I think it's big. It shows us the gospel is for everyone. The same gospel. This is why we say at Mercy Church, we keep the gospel at the center of all we do. Because the same gospel is for everybody in the city. And I also love that we see Paul's not trying to reach just one segment of the city. Um, For years, church growth strategists in America have said, basically, pick a demographic and then go get that demographic. Spend all your time, like, go get the white-collar crowd because that's where the money is, or go get the micro-brews and apartment crowd because they have influence, right? Or go get the blue-collar crowd because you can actually rely on them to show up for ministry and and stuff like that. Or, you know, go get the Starbucks and Target crowd, right, because they'll be dependable and they'll, you know, everything else. So, look. I'm, I'm serious when I say that. There are books written to that, that event, but to that methodology, but that's not the New Testament church. The New Testament church brings the gospel to everyone. In fact, here's the main idea for today. The gospel is for everyone. So we are sent to everyone, all right? 
the gospel is for everyone. So the New Testament church and mercy church is for everyone. So I hope for our church. I hope we're a church where God's mercy is for all people. And that means doing some hard work. And it is hard work to see the needs of all people in our community and try to reach people by ministering to them where they are. But this passage, I think, not only will we see that and see kind of our calling, our calling to take the same gospel to all people, but I think what we're going to see also is that, you know, you and I are included in that everyone there. So this should lead you with fresh, thankful hearts to worship God that the gospel's for you too. It's good news for you. It's good news for me. So we're going to jump into Acts 16. We're going to start in verse 11. All right. Verse 11. You guys ready? All right, good. Here we go, verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we we remained in this city some days. Okay, so why did I give you just this little Google Maps um, moment that we got here to get us to Philippi? Here's why. The reason they went to Macedonia and then to Philippi in there is because Paul, while he was doing ministry somewhere else, saw a vision from God of a Macedonian saying, come and help us. Please come and help us. This is a little bit earlier in Acts 16. So off they went. And the we in there indicates that Luke, he's traveling with him. Luke's the the medic who's also the one uh, taking down the account of what's happening here. And Paul's responding to God's call through this vision to go, go to Macedonia. All right. So verse 13, now he's there. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, were suppo- where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down, spoke to the women who had come together. Now, I love this. Um, when the Lord starts his church, he starts it at a, uh, at a women's prayer meeting here by the river. All right? So good. Uh, verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul after she was baptized and her household as well. She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. All right, Lydia, that's our first encounter. Is this woman named Lydia who was at a prayer meeting. All right, she's at a prayer meeting and comes to faith at a prayer meeting. We know, by the way, you see the seller of purple goods. We know that Purple dye was a rare and valuable commodity. We know she owned her own home, owned her own business. We can reason she was pretty well off, a pretty well-respected business owner in the town. When it came to faith, though, she was worshiping a God that she did not fully understand. Catch this. She was familiar with religion, seemed to believe in God, but did not. She was missing something. She didn't understand how she fully related to God. So Paul just preaches to Lydia, the great news of the gospel, which leads us to, with each of these encounters, I'm going to show you a way that the gospel reaches into the whole city, okay, and how the gospel is for everyone. Look, here's the first way. The gospel saves people who are familiar with God. He actually brings salvation to those who are already somewhat familiar with him. Lydia was familiar with prayer, familiar with some form of Jewish practice. That's why she's doing this prayer on the Sabbath day. Maybe she's done it her whole life. She was religious, though, by culture, not by conviction. Super important, church. I think this is one of the largest unrecognized mission fields in front of us uh, here in Charlotte. 
And the name for what it is today is cultural Christianity. All right, let me give you a, a word on that from uh, a friend of mine wrote a book called The Unsaved Christian, Dean and Sarah, and this is a comment on this cultural Christianity that exists right here in our culture. He says, Cultural Christianity is a religion that is practiced by more Americans than any other faith or religion. Its participants can be found in Catholic or Protestant churches, in the South and Midwest, on high school football fields, at patriotic celebrations, and around family dinner tables. It looks and sounds very Christian on the surface, but it is merely Christian by culture rather than conviction. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a part of the equation. Talking about folks that admire Jesus, but don't think he's really needed except in your Jesus take the wheel moment of crisis, right? With that soundtrack. The Jesus of cultural Christianity is a type of, you know, it's like the historical imaginary friend with some magic powers for good luck or sentimentality. Amazing Grace is a song that you know from memory, but you don't know why the grace is really amazing. Now, the great danger to Lydia's and the Lydia's that are here among us is that the gospel sounds just familiar enough to think, oh yeah, I know about that. I don't need that. I know that already. And to you, I offer this word from Christ in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? And then I'll announce to them, I never knew you. So depart from me, you lawbreakers. Y'all, this is a big thing. Don't assume just because you admire Jesus or because you've done some good things and your attendance record is fairly strong in church activities, don't assume that means you will be saved. The gospel is not, didn't we? The gospel is only, didn't he? Look, look what he did. Now, here's the good news back in Acts 16, 14. The Lord opened her heart. He did it. He did the work, right? Those people who come to church year after year, who know the Sunday school stories, and yet have never truly believed the gospel. My good news for you today is that God loves you. He loves you. It doesn't say, and then Lydia finally figured it all out. No, the Lord opened her heart. And maybe the Lord has planned for you to be here today so he can open your heart. Salvation is his, y'all. Every single part of it is his. So here's the gospel. I want you to listen up, Lydia, okay? If your name is actually Lydia, I guess it's just like double for you, all right, if that's your name as well. But for all of us that represent that I've been around the things of Christianity for a long time, here's the gospel that you are first. You're right. There is a God. He did create the world. He did create you. He does have a purpose for you. When you pray those prayers, there is a God on the other side of them. But then the gospel announces the reason that it is good news is because there's a bad problem that the gospel speaks to and answers. And the bad problem is sin. Y'all, people familiar with religion usually don't realize the, the depth and the urgency of their sin problem. Sin isn't just doing a bad thing. Sin is rebelling against God. It's choosing our ways over God's ways. And it eternally separates us from God the Father. Romans 6.23 is going to say you are dead in your trespasses and sin. You have a death debt that is owed because of your sin. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died in your place. The good news of the gospel is not, man, you have a big debt. You better do a lot of good stuff to overcome that debt. And then you will earn God's heaven card or whatever it is that you have operating in your mind. 
The gospel in four words is Jesus in your place. Look, religion in four words is be a good person. That's religion in four words. It's a, you know, this morality-based thing that says be a good person and then God will love you. The gospel in four words is no, no, no. It's just Jesus in my place. That's it. That's the gospel in four words. He died in your place. He rose again, and that's big because if you identify with his death for your sins, he says you get to identify with his resurrection as giving you new life. So if you are like Lydia, man, I pray that you would hear the true gospel today, believe it, and receive it. Maybe God's opening your heart. By the way, that's what happens when I talk about God opening your heart and mind. Um, I've had the, one of the joys of preaching the gospel is watch God do this in worship services year after year, where what he'll do is you'll be sitting there and whoever the preacher is, whether it's me or someone else, um, the preacher's preaching and you'll think, all right, it seems like he knows exactly what's going on in my life. How is that possible? And then he's applying that directly to my life. I promise I don't know what is going on in your life, okay? What's happening there is the Lord is opening your heart, convicting you of sin, and calling you back to himself. Respond to him and receive that because he's working. I will say, y'all, Lydia also represents the person who will accept an invitation to one of our worship gatherings here. Familiar enough with the things of God to come and check it out. Um, y'all, for, for that reason, that's why we're going to try and take really good care of our worship gatherings as we go forward into the future. We care about what happens everywhere from the parking lot to our Mercy Kids team, First Impressions. We think through every element of our service here, and we try to preach in a way to make sense to people right where they are. Because, y'all, we are a church community. We're not just a weekend gathering, but for the Lydia's in Charlotte, and there are many, this will be their front door to the gospel. And so we'll plan for that. And by the way, last thing I'll say about Lydia, you see her response? Her response is baptism. That's the response to belief. It's baptism. You're going to hear it several times. In fact, in our next service, we're baptizing someone. It's a beautiful depiction of a response to the gospel. But she doesn't stop there. She turns her home into a ministry center. You see that? It's like, please, come do ministry out of my home. Because once your heart is open to God, your resources will open to him as well. Maybe you're Lydia. You need to be baptized. You just come tell us. We'll make it happen. We'll celebrate that with you. Then you need to get into ministry and on mission here. Listen, the Lord is doing a, a kind of a cool thing at Mercy Church. I want to specifically talk to our Providence Road campus right here. Listen to me. We sent out 171 people a couple months ago to plant Mercy Northeast up on the northeast corner of the city. And in that time, we have already seen Providence Road grow back to the amount of people that was there before we sent out those 171 people. Okay, what that means is we got a lot. You might feel new. If you feel new here, that's because, and the person to your right of your life, like, I don't know them. They don't know you either. Everybody's new, all right? That's what's happening right now. The person who's been here for five years is like, I don't know anybody. Me neither, okay? We're all dealing with that. It's a new, in many ways, I feel like the Lord coming, both the combination of coming out of COVID and seeing us plant out and the Lord filling in. It's a new church in so many ways, and I'm very thankful because that's a lot of fresh new work, fresh new stories, new things the Lord is going to do. But here's where we're at right now. By August 22nd, as we look forward to the fall, by August 22nd, we need to plant about 20 new community groups at Mercy Church, all right? We have seven that are trained up and ready to go for that plant. We need about 13 more because of math in order to be able to get to 20, okay? 
So what I want to ask you to do is to pray through it. 13 is not like one where you do the, the all call and then nobody responds. Everybody thinks somebody else is going to do it. There's no way that's going to be able to happen, okay? So maybe you're like, yeah, but I'm new. I told you, everybody's new, all right? So maybe you need to come, and you're going to hear more about how you can take the next steps towards the end of our service. But that's just one way, and you'll hear, hear others throughout the service. But y'all, let, let our homes be ministry centers for the gospel going forward in our city. And let's not just pretend, let's not just get in here and have a worship service, but instead let's respond to the gospel with our whole lives, all right? Um, all right, let's, the next two, okay, next two, not as familiar with religion, all right? The next two are going to be a little bit different, and we're going to have to reach people as you see this. These are people who aren't as familiar um, with it, but y'all, the Lord calls us to take the gospel to everyone, and I want to show you what that means for us in these next two encounters. Verse 16, so as we were going, this is Luke talking about him, Paul, and the group, going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She's possessed by a demon. She's enslaved. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Not a fascinating thing for a demon to be yelling, all right? And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed... <laughs> sometimes, oh, that's so good, um, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Okay, so here's Paul, greatly annoyed. That's what it sounds, that's, that's our translation. Uh, probably more, while as entertaining as that one is, and I kind of like the idea of annoyed exorcisms, okay? The probably more accurate translation here is deeply troubled. This wasn't just a quick-tempered reaction, because it's happening day after day after day, right? And for days, he's watched this slave girl, and remember, there was a vision, come and help us. And he's seeing this girl, and he's thinking of this vision, come and help us. She's spewing at them because the demon did recognize the real deal, right? Those are men of God. The, the enemy recognized that, but it wasn't praise. It was fear. It was warning because the demon's enemy is now here. Why put this story right up against Lydia? It's to show you the difference between these two women. They differ so much from one another that Luke might be thought to have deliberately selected these two encounters to show you how the saving name of Jesus proves powerful in lives of, of everyone, of everyone. Lydia is a respected businesswoman, a pillar in the community. The slave girl is scarcely a member of the community at all. Lydia is familiar with morality and religion. The slave girl is completely alienated from any moral sense of knowledge or truth. Lydia's got accomplishments. The slave girl is completely marginalized without a shred of dignity. Lydia's success is under some amount of power and independence, but the slave girl is completely powerless. All this is to show, as one theologian said, that the gospel can address and transform absolutely any condition. The gospel is as much for moral and nice people as it is for broken and addicted and hurting and enslaved people. No matter where you are and where in between you fall, on that spectrum, the gospel, the same gospel is for you. 
And what happens all at once, all at once, God rescues her from her spiritual bondage and her social bondage. You see the impact of the gospel. The gospel saves the religious person. Yes, the gospel brings healing and dignity to hurting people. That's what I want you to see here. We're not told if this girl became a Christian. We are told she was healed, and she was healed by the power of God. So let me ask us, church, who are the hurting? Who are the poor and oppressed like this girl in our community? We believe the gospel heals the brokenness of people today, just like it did uh, here in Philippi. This girl's owner showed her no dignity, but the gospel says, no, no, God created her. God created her in his image, calls her daughter. He loves her, desires her, sent Jesus for her. And the task in front of every church is to answer the question, who is that in our community that needs to hear and needs to receive the power of God? I'm going to give you three pockets of people that I see in Charlotte, but it's just three. It's just three. First, to me, is the, the homeless in our community. There are over 4,700 students in the Charlotte Mech school system who are homeless. One out of every five homeless children in North Carolina live within eight miles of Uptown Charlotte. They're right there in front of us. What about the enslaved? The demon-possessed girl was a slave who was being exploited for the financial gain of her owners. Does that sound familiar? In case you've been living under a rock, the slave trade is alive and well in the shadows of 21st century America. The FBI ranks North Carolina as one of the top 10 states for human trafficking, and Charlotte is the number one spot in North Carolina. In mercy, the gospel tells us we were slaves to sin, and Jesus came and broke the chains of slavery. And so we're free people now, no longer enslaved to the wicked master we once were. If you really believe that, if we believe that, our hearts will ache for the slave girl, and then we'll act. Because we've been set free, how can we not be an advocate for those in bondage? What about the unborn? In 2019, 28,450 abortions were performed in North Carolina. 38% of those were in Mecklenburg County. The homeless, the enslaved, the unborn, all at risk every day. And the church that believes the gospel must not sit idly by while the helpless suffer. Y'all imagine if abortion clinics and orphanages had to shut down in our city because churches were so willing to care for children that government funding for that became unnecessary. That's why we got That's one of the reasons why I feel like, y'all, we got I think it's happening. We got to get past the COVID fog because sin didn't take a break during the pandemic. It's still raged. And transparently, I believe this is where we have the farthest to go in our ministry here as a church. I haven't led you as well as I should have here in this area. Thankfully, several of our members have, but we've got work to do if we're going to genuinely take the gospel to everyone. And it was costly, by the way, for Paul and Silas to do what they did. Look at verse 20. They brought him to the magistrates and they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They're causing a problem. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. That was their reward for going and acting on behalf of this girl. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. 
Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. <laughs> Here are good Samaritans, Paul and Silas. They're not given a key to the city. No, they're thrown into prison for liberating a slave. But look at what they do. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. They had some songs going. They were singing like, Break Every Chain, you know, that song that we sing. And <laughs> my chains are gone. They had all kinds of this. Is where we, no. um, but th- this is how they're, impro- they're approaching their injustice. So much to learn there. When you are imprisoned unjustly, perhaps God is about to use you in some way you never saw coming. Instead, we often think, we think of our circumstances as God has forgotten us or God is punishing us. We're angry, frustrated, just trying to, to get through it. You know, at best, we're like, all right, maybe God will just help me get through this. But maybe he's setting up something that we wouldn't even believe if he told us. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake. There's something. So the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now, jailers are, this jailer is our third encounter that we're seeing Paul interact with. Jailers are commonly, in this time, like retired army veterans. They could be, you know, because they could follow orders, they could use their military expertise where needed. The jailer represents the segment of our community that does seem far from God seems unfamiliar with the things of God. He lived his whole life apart from Jesus, and for the most part, everything's going fine. He's got a good job. Things are going well. This guy named Steve Steve Timmis in his book, Everyday Church, he cites a uh, study in which 70% of British citizens said they have no intention of of ever attending a church service for any reason. Not at Easter, not for marriages, not for funerals or Christmas Eve services. 70%. Here's what he says. And yes, this is for London, but I think while this is a different religious landscape, a lot of it will ring familiar. He says, that means new styles of worship is not going to reach these people. It means fresh expressions of church will not reach them. Great first impression teams will not reach them. Churches meeting in cool venues will not reach them. The vast majority of unchurched and dechurched people would not turn to the church, even if faced with difficult personal circumstances or in the event of national tragedies. It's not a question of improving the product of church meetings and evangelistic events. It means reaching people apart from meetings and events. You catch that? How does Paul reach the jailer? Well, when the jailer had a need, when he was awoken to a need, when his life got turned upside down, when the fragility of life got revealed to this jailer, Paul stayed. The jailer didn't ask for Paul's help. Let's be clear on that. He didn't ask for his help. Paul saw his need, saw his fear. And so with a loud voice, verse 28, Paul cries out, don't harm yourself, for we are all here. Do you believe that? We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. See, he was afraid that he was going to be killed for a lapse on the job, right? Now he's trembling with a different kind of fear. He falls down before them. He brought them out and said, Sirs, 
What must I do to be saved? Heard you singing about it. Heard you talking about it. And now here you are demonstrating a compassion that I can't believe. What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, because it's the same simple gospel for everyone, and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. The gospel gives revelation. It it saves those who seem close to God, familiar with God. It rescues the helpless. And y'all, the gospel saves people who are unfamiliar with God, who know nothing of the things of God. The jailer's so overwhelmed by the fact that Paul stayed. That's because Paul deserved to walk out the door. The earthquake meant justice is served. The righteous go free. The jailer gets what he deserves. But Paul has compassion on the man who had no compassion on him. Paul's pain and suffering became an opportunity for him to proclaim the hope and joy he had in Christ. Sees him about to kill himself. Paul sacrifices his freedom to save the jailer's life. What must I do to be saved? Because now I realize I need it. I need it. So Paul says, simply believe in the Lord Jesus. That's the running theme of Acts. It's the message for today. It's the message every week at our church. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Turn from your sin. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe. I know some of you Christians are in prisons of pain, bad relationships, other circumstances. And maybe like Paul, you didn't deserve it. The question is, will you sing in the midst of your pain? Will you hold on to the joy of your salvation? Because I promise right now, ears are listening. I promise they're listening. Ears that would otherwise be uninterested. What if God intends for you to suffer well, dependent on him, joyfully dependent on him for the sake of the salvation of someone watching? Now, let me give a caveat as soon as I say that. I'm not talking about suffering abuse. If you're being abused, God is not calling you to stay in that. You're made in his image. He loves you. That's not your fault. I want to implore you to tell somebody, see yourself more in the slave girl that God loved and brought freedom from bondage to. But y'all, these people like the Philippian jailer are probably ones that you have names and faces for. They're walking through life today totally oblivious to even a need for a savior. But maybe God has put you in their way so that you can go with the gospel to them. Because the gospel is for everyone. It's for everyone. Verse 33, this jailer took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Y'all, the jailer cleansed the very wounds he probably helped inflict. You see the power of the gospel? The man he was inflicting pain on now baptizes him. Because when God saves you, you get baptized. Keep saying it, y'all. Keeps coming up. I'm going to keep saying it. I love this. Let me maybe conclude with this look at the church in Philippi this way. There was a common prayer that Pharisees would pray when they would go into the temple. And they would say, God, thank you that I am not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. (laughs) No doubt Paul had prayed that many years before he came to faith. Look at the three people that God takes Paul to in order to plant the Philippian church. A woman, a slave, and a Gentile. 
all encountered by that same gospel, that same love of Christ. The point today, the gospel is for everyone. So we, church family, are sent to everyone. It'll take every single one of us actively looking and listening to the stories of people all around us so that we can share the truth of the same gospel, the rescue of the gospel, and the life-altering effects of the gospel with all people because the gospel is for everyone. And the same God that in his grace, Christian, has saved you and I, he is not done. He's not done. That person that seems far from God, he's not done. Believe Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ on their behalf. The person very near to God that you're like, oh, they're so close. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ on their behalf. Let's believe and see what the Lord does. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this gospel, this simple message. You tell us a child can understand it. Now I've seen it time and again. A child can understand it. So God, I pray in your grace that you would convict us for where we have not seen everyone the way you see everyone. God, I pray for the, the conversations that I'm going to have this afternoon with friends that don't know the Lord. I pray for conversations that are going to be had in abundance this afternoon by the people in this room with those that are far from you. You've put us in their lives because the gospel is for everyone. So I pray in your kindness, would you keep your heart, the heart of a father who loves, would you keep that on our hearts? Help us to love this community well that you've put us into. Thank you, God, for your grace on us. We praise you in Christ's holy name. Amen.